morning. My name's Krista, and I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which, is it, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I'm going to do something that I don't know if this has been done at Dwarf Hope Northeast yet. I'm going to sit. And uh, hopefully right here is okay. You guys can see me. Um, maybe the people online, you can't. I don't know. But uh, I guess I'm taking a risk here. But you guys can let me know if you prefer standing Josh or sitting Josh after this. Uh, we'll, see. we'll see where it goes. But uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I recognize a lot of you, but there's also a lot of you that I don't. Um, and I would like to get to know as many of you as I can whom I don't know. So if you consider this part of your church or you're just kicking the tires or whatever you want to call it, I would love to get together with you. You can email me, joshwilder at doorofhopepdx.org. And I'd love to, I'd love to get together with you. Um, also, if you got a bone to pick with me after the things that I say today. You could also email me at Cameron at Door of Hope. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, you can email me, and, and I will gladly be the uh, dartboard for you. Uh, but anyhow, I've been out of the saddle, I guess you could say, for a while. I had a, had a baby a few months ago, or a couple months ago. Yeah, so I was out, and uh, I've been busy, you might imagine. Um, so I was on paternity leave for a while, and, and now I'm back. And hopefully some of you are like, well, I'm glad, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. So uh, we're in the middle of a series. We're taking, the break, taking a break from the Gospel of Mark, and we're, we're kind of taking a step back and saying, 
let's, uh, let's recalibrate. Who are we as a church? What, what are we trying to do here? Um, where do we want to go in the future? Where, what's taken us to here? And uh, so, so this is kind of awkward for me. I don't know how to do a sermon that's also like a, a kind of like a vision talk. So this is, uh, there's a lot of new stuff. Maybe I shouldn't have thrown the stool in. Maybe that's too many new things at once. But uh, if you remember last week, Cameron talk, talked about the past, the past year and a half. And I don't know about you, I was really encouraged. I was actually downstairs um, with one of my kids in the nursery, so I didn't really get to hear what was going on, but I heard it on the podcast, which by the way, we have a podcast, so if ever you miss what goes on here on a Sunday, you can listen to it later. But I was, I was really encouraged by hearing the stories of how God has worked in our community in the last year, um, and we can rejoice in that. Um, this week, I'm going to be talking a little bit more, kind of like where things stand right now, where we are right now. But also, I, I'm hoping in, these, in, these, um, in this sermon, in the last one, in the next one, um, We'll also kind of be talking about the four pillars of Door of Hope. We have these, we call them the four pillars, but they're like values that we have at a church that help, help us stay on track, help us, help us keep going the same direction. Because you could say, oh, we're, we're just about loving Jesus. And it's like, well, what does that look like? It could look like so many things. And then you spread yourself really thin and you're really not that effective. So we have these four pillars as a church. The first one is preaching Christ and Him crucified. And Hopefully that comes out now, and hopefully that comes out in every single sermon. That's a goal of ours. That's what we want to do, is we want to preach Christ and Him crucified, because Jesus says when He is lifted up, He's going to draw all people to Himself. And we want people not just to come to our church, but we want people to meet Jesus. That's what we really want. We are a church that's about Jesus, and we want people to meet Him. If you come in here, or you invite people in here, and they think that we're going to, we're going to do something for them, uh, they're going to be mistaken. It's Jesus who's going to do something for them, okay? And all, all the stuff that happened last week that was encouraging, that was Jesus doing stuff in this community, okay? So we're always going to be about Jesus, and we're always going to be about the cross because it's only through the cross that there's forgiveness of, sh- of sins. Um, so we're going to be about that. No matter how unpopular that gets, that's, that's how we're going to be. So uh, this, the second pillar, which I'm going to talk more about here, is community, or life together is kind of how, how it was originally put. And that's basically that Jesus doesn't save just individuals so that they can have a personal relationship with Jesus and then go to heaven when they're dead. That is true, but Jesus has saved a, a whole community. And we, we, we live as a community together. We follow Jesus together. And as we do that, he, he binds us together as a community. So that's going to be like a lot of the essence of what I'm going to get into later, so we won't belabor that anymore. The third pillar is... Uh, simplicity, which really speaks to the idea that we don't want to multiply programs and things that we're doing into ineffectiveness. We don't want to have too many things going on, too many plates spinning, otherwise we're really going to lose focus on the main thing, which is Jesus, right? We don't want to be about our church and keeping things going. We want to be about Jesus. He's the one that keeps our church going, okay? So that's simplicity, And then the last one is the pillar of the city, which doesn't mean that we only care about the city and not the rest of the world. Of course, Jesus loves everybody and wants to bring everyone into his kingdom. But we also know that we are spatially located in this city and we have limited resources and those resources will be most effectively spent by giving to this city particularly 
though we also uh, set aside a lot of funding for global partners that do things outside of this city. But we, we do want to say that we are, God has strategically placed us here. And so here is where we, we want to do ministry, not somewhere out there in the ether. So those are the four pillars. Um, so there, I've done, the, I've done the four pillars connection. Now you can see how, uh, how community fits in there. So here's, uh, here, here's how I want to tee it off. That's like, we're not even into the talk yet. <laughs> so here's how I want to tee it up. God, um, if you've been following Jesus at all, or, or you read the Bible, you might notice something about how God works in the world. And that is that his work is very often slow and invisible. It's very, I want to stress the invisible part right now. We could stress the slow part another time, but the invisible part is what I want to stress. It's invisible to people who don't have the eyes of faith. And very often, I have to admit, that's me as well as the rest of us. So a, a great example of this is, is the incarnation. When the Lord became human, if you had been there and you weren't like one of the shepherds where heaven literally tears open and there's angels who are celebrating and telling you, hey, God's been born in a... Ma-, without that revelation, you would have just seen a baby. Right? You would have just seen mom and a baby. And, well, what you would assume would be dad. But you wouldn't think that God has become human, something that literally has never happened before. The cosmos has just shifted. You would not have thought that. And the same thing with Jesus' life. Unless you saw him doing a miracle, you would have just said, there's a Galilean man. And when he was on the cross, you would have said, there's a dead man. In fact, even his closest disciples, the people who spent their whole life with him for three years, that's what they thought that they were seeing, the ones who saw it. They thought that what they were seeing was a dead man. They didn't know that what they were seeing was God putting the first stitch in repairing the universe, that something cosmic was happening right underneath their noses, but they could not see it. So this idea that God's work is invisible, try and hold this in your mind. Oops, I touched that thing. I'll use this hand. Try and hold this in your mind, this idea that God's work is invisible and we often don't realize what's actually going on. Now let's look at the church and the community. You see where I'm going with this? God is at work in far more ways than we realize through the church. Okay, so here's, here's what I want to do. With this in mind, I want to do two things. First, using this passage in Ephesians that you've had read to you, I want to talk about what's God's vision for the church, for community, for our community. Well, first we're going to say, generally, what is God's vision for the church? And then the second thing I want to do, we'll pivot from there and talk about what does that look like for our community specifically right now, where we are, okay? So I'm going to try and keep this under time. I feel like I have a lot to do here, so we're going to move quickly. The first thing to notice in this passage, there's three things that Paul really stresses here that I'm going to point out. There's more, but I'm just going to point out these three. The first is he stresses unity. He stresses unity here. Notice in verse, uh, he, gives, he gives an imperative at the beginning. He says, um, 
walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he says, he says a whole bunch of different one statements, right? There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. He's stressing unity, the oneness, right? We were not called to a whole bunch of different faiths, a whole bunch of different Jesuses, a whole bunch of different hopes. We're called to one, one hope. And we are one body. We aren't many bodies. When you have many bodies, like for example in this room, one, one part can be hurting and the other parts not know it. But if we take just this one body and I stub my toe, the rest of my body knows it. That's the kind of unity, the kind of one he's talking about here. That's the whole bearing with one another in humility. They're actually, we're actually in, intimately connected. The second thing that Paul stresses here is actually diversity. And he uh, stresses this through the context of gifts, right? He, he talks about uh, here in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us. Okay, now, now we're talking individual. Each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he goes through and he labels these uh, five gifts down in verse 11. He gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's been God's intention that his community would be one, would be unified. It's also been his intention that that unity would exist with plurality and diversity, different gifts. In another passage in in, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about not every... Not everybody is a hand, are they? Not everybody is a foot, are they? Not everybody is a head, are they? Or an ear, whatever. There's diversity. There's different gifts. And those are all working together. They need to be different so that when they all work together, the whole unit works, right? If your body was all, was nothing but muscle, you would be a pile on the ground. That's what you would be. (laughs) You would just be a pile on the ground. You need different parts, different systems in your body, and you need them to function differently and do different things for the whole thing to work together as a unity. So unity and diversity. The third thing um, he talks about that I want to point out is, is the purpose. There's, there's a reason. There's a reason for all of this. And what Paul really points out is uh, the, the reason is that we might grow up together into maturity, right? And, and an example of that maturity is you're not blown around, tossed to and fro by, by the waves, by, uh, by the news, by coronavirus, by whatever it is. So you're not tossed to and fro. Keep in mind, too, he's talking about the, the whole church, right? The whole church doesn't get tossed to and fro. In, individuals, like, we're all individually weak, we can get thrown around. But the whole unit working together is going to be built up and strengthened and not tossed around when all the parts are functioning together. 
So the purpose is that we might be built up into unity and maturity. And Paul has more to say than just, um, oh yeah, the, the purpose is like, so that we'll mature, right? Um, if you go back, you know, Ephesians 4 comes after 3, which comes after 2, which comes after 1. So uh, to get here, I want to take a really brief pause to sort of ramp us up to chapter 4. So you'll see why this all makes sense, okay? So in chapter 1, Paul lays out this grand vision of God's plan. Like God has had a plan from all eternity. You know, before God makes anything, God's like, oh, okay, what are we going to do? Well, Paul says God chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be blameless and holy. So before God makes anything, he says, I'm going to make human beings, select them, and they're going to be blameless and holy. And he says, God's going to, I'm going to adopt them into my family. So uh, we're adopted into his family. And he says he's going to redeem us through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. So we're chosen, we're adopted, we're forgiven, we're redeemed. And he says we're redeemed so that we could have an inheritance. That's what children in the family have. All the riches of, of the family are inherited by the children. God's plan is to give all of this to his children, and he's going to use the Holy Spirit to seal this up in our hearts so that we know that it's true, that there's a guarantee that this is actually true. And then the end of chapter one, he goes into chapter two saying, because he has a mixed congregation of Jews and Gentiles, he says, but we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath by nature. But God, and here's the kicker, God, because of the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive in Christ and has seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So that, and here's the so that, so that God, for all the ages to come, could continue to show us his unending riches in kindness and grace. That's been God's plan, has been to select people whom he loved so that they could receive forever and ever and ever the riches of his grace and kindness. That's been God's plan. And his plan, now we're moving into, chapter, into the latter half of chapter two, has been that this should be open to all different kinds of people. His main metaphor there is Jew and Gentile. And he says, Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of separation. So you no longer have those outsider Gentiles and the insider Jews, and it's the keeping of the ordinances that defines the one against the other. Now we're all one in Christ. Being in Christ is what makes you a child of God, Paul says. So the intention, God's intention always has been, even with Abraham, the promise to Abraham was that I will bless you and you will become a blessing, that all families of the earth might be blessed. That's been God's plan from the beginning. So now we're getting closer, closer to this body metaphor. Okay, so if God's intention has always been to draw all different kinds of people, different languages, different cultures, different skin colors, different generations, different ways of looking at the world, different voting patterns, different political philosophies, whatever it is, God's intention has always been to bring 
different people around into his community so that he can always forever show them his grace and kindness. And here's, here's where the real kicker is. If you have a Bible, and I encourage you to bring a Bible, by the way. Uh, I, I didn't do slides because uh, I, I could be wrong about this. You could write me an email about it. But I think that somehow when, when we do slides, you kind of think, oh, I don't really need to re- bring my Bible because it's all going to be up there. I encourage you guys to bring a Bible. I mean, this is the Word of God. We do want to we do, we, we do be reading it while we're at home, bringing it to church. I remember I, I used to carry a Bible with me everywhere I went. And I was like, I'll look like a moron. I don't care. This is God's Word. I'm going to take it everywhere. And now you're like, I got it on my phone so nobody really knows, but I know. You know, but like your phone isn't the same as like the physical book. So anyways, that's just my thing. I'm not saying this is the word of God, thou shalt bring your Bible, but I really encourage you to bring your Bible. So um, turn, sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent. Turn back a page to chapter three. Paul says in chapter three, verse eight, he says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Remember what I said earlier? The unsearchable riches of Christ to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that, okay, here's the kicker, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It's through the church that God's wisdom is made known, not only here on earth to other human beings, but in the spiritual realm, to spiritual creatures that God has made. God's plan, God's plan was not to have this booming voice, hello, I am God. For some reason, God always sounds like that, right? Uh, I'm God, and here's my plan. No, God says, His plan, plan A, not the backup plan, plan A is the church. It's the church. And we together as a church, not just me or Cameron or whoever it is up here saying it, we together as a church, as this one unified body, we are bearing witness to the wisdom of God. Now, when you look around, the people around you, you might be thinking, this is it. <laughs> this, is, this is God's plan. And once again, remember, it's just a baby in a manger. It's just a dead man on a cross. No. It's so much more than that. God's work is invisible and slow. And he has ordained from eternity past that it will be through the church that he will make himself known. So that's God's plan. That's God's plan for the church. That's his plan for this community. I don't know if that, uh, if that fires you up at all or if you're just like, man, I've heard this a million times. It's okay, either way. Uh, it's not my words that are gonna jar you. Hopefully it's the spirit of God. So I wanna, I wanna pivot here and talk about our community. What does this mean for our community today? Well, obviously, like, we're roped into this. It's 2,000 years later. We're roped into this. We're part of that, uh, you know, God's wisdom being revealed through his church to the heavenly realms, that's what we're doing. We're actually doing that, whether we realize it or not. The question is, 
Are we doing it poorly or are we doing it well? That's the real question. So we got some barriers. We got some things in our way, especially right now. I think the most obvious is that we're in a pandemic and it's difficult. It's really hard to get together with people. It's really hard. You know, the, the, the stories that were shared last week that were so wonderful and encouraging, you know, that wasn't everybody's story, you know. Not, not everybody was on the receiving end of, of one of those happy and encouraging stories. Some of you might have heard it and been like, I don't know, was that at this church? Like, I, that didn't happen for me. And I'm not wanting to throw shade on anybody for, you know, leaving someone out. We all, like, we all can't keep track of everybody, in a sense. But, um, but there's a sense in which uh, this, this pandemic has done something horrifically unnatural to the church. It's the, it's the nature of the church to be connected, to be in proximity, and whether it's uh, our, our own fears or the, or, the, um, or the actions of the state or w- whatever it is, um, we, have, we have been kept from one another in an unnatural way. So that's, that's a barrier uh, that, we have to, that we have to get through. Another barrier, which is, has really sort of been aggravated by this whole pandemic thing is, you know, we, we, have, we have different ways of looking at the world. I mean, let's not, let's, let's not beat around the bush about it. You know, not everybody in here votes the same. Not everybody thinks that the, what the state does is the right thing, or even what we as elders have done is the right thing. We're different. In fact, probably most of you, like me, are like transplants here to Portland, so we're all, we're all coming from different places. We don't have a common shared like background, something that knits us together. Like if we were a, a, a tribe of locals who've always, you know, since time out of mind, we've held the same customs and done the same things. We don't have something other than Jesus really that's uniting us. Maybe some of us do, you know, you, you form into, into little groups around uh, common interests or something like that. Maybe you have family that moved out here with you, or maybe, maybe you're one of those rare, uh, you know, Portland natives who isn't one of our kids, you know. <laughs> Only Portland natives I know are my own children, uh, and they don't remember what it was like before. So, um, actually, that's not true. I know a few, but they're rare. So, we got differences, like actual legitimate differences between us, and it would be a mistake to think that what unity means is that we all got to agree about all those things. Then we'll have unity. That's actually not the kind of unity that Paul's talking about. It's the different parts that work together. It's the working together. You know what makes the angels go, wow, what an incredible plan of God, is the fact that we are so different, and yet we still come together as one body. No one's surprised when everybody who thinks alike and acts alike and have, prefers the same things all come together. Like, that's not surprising. Is anybody like, wow, oh man, everybody who loves the Blazers are all in one place called Moda Center. You know what I mean? Like, that's not, nobody's going, whoa, what a great plan. It's the fact that we're so different. It's the fact that we're not the same. That's what makes the world it's what makes the heavenly realm, angels, say, whoa, there's something real here. Third thing I'll mention briefly that's a, that's a barrier to us. I'll try and make this quick, 
my wife, uh, when I told her about this, she was like, this sounds like a lecture. You need to not talk about that at all. And I'm like, but there's a part, I just have to. Uh, this, is, this is a worldview thing that we all share, that we all share in common. Most likely, unless you moved here from uh, some other kind of like small tribal area of the world. And that is that we, we are, um, our way of looking at the world in the West is we see ourselves and others as these sort of isolated atoms, you know, the, 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 the image is like a, a, a pool table with a bunch of billiard balls on it, and then like one of them comes flying, crashes into another, and they, they move their separate ways, or they go wherever, and then they come to rest, but everything is ultimately like isolated. There's no significant, con- like genuine underlying connection between people and things. We have to create that. Like, we have to be the, the ball that comes crashing into another one. That's actually the view of the European Enlightenment, or what I would call the endarkenment, because it has darkened our way of seeing the world in many ways. It's also been helpful, just to, just to be fair. There's, I, I'm thankful for indoor plumbing and, you know, various other things that also came out of that. But... Um, but the Bible's view of the world is actually one in which the, the universe and, and we are, are actually woven together. It's more like a piece of fabric. Oh, was that me? Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. He's telling me I'm on the right track. It's, it's like a piece of fabric. And if, if, you're, if, you, if you pull one thread out, what you're actually doing is you're, you're weakening the connection between the other threads. And you can see this when you go to a funeral or a wedding. You'll see all these connections, all these people who otherwise would not be in this one place but for that one person or that one couple. We're actually woven together. The whole universe is woven together in this sort of way such that when our first parents fell, it actually ripped open the fabric of the universe. That's why the whole world is fallen because it's all connected and that means that we're all connected and that's a that may seem like a profound thought or hard to believe or whatever but there are still people groups who think this way who think this way about the world i spent some time in in one in in northeast india when i was on field education during seminary and um the amazing thing is, is where the gospel comes in areas like this, it explodes. So this area in northeast India is like 95% Christian, almost immediately. And one of the reasons is because they share the same underlying intellectual framework that the Bible shares, so that, that connection. Same thing in Africa. Africa, sub-Saharan Africa is blowing up because they also share that kind of worldview. Anyways, I was there. And Puzoa, who was my, um, he was my supervisor, he was telling me about the culture. He goes, yeah, so um, in our culture, it's very shameful to ask for help. It's very shameful to ask for help. So, um, so people, people won't ask you for help, but, the, but they'll need help. Students, you know, I was, I was teaching, so he's like, students won't ask you for help. You need to, you need to pursue them. And so I asked him, you know, from my, from my own Western perspective, I was like, well, so, so how do people have their needs met when they don't share them? They don't ask for help. And he, he said probably the best thing to say to someone like me, and that was, think about it. <laughs> so, so I went away, and I'm doing whatever. I'm living life with them. 
And about, uh, I don't know how long it was, let's just say a week or two weeks or something like that ago, I think I figured it out. I think I figured out how people have their needs met without asking. And he said, what do you think? And I said, people are genuinely connected with one another. Their lives overlap so significantly that they know what the other person needs and they meet that need before they have to ask. And he said, yep, that's right. See, when, uh, <laughs> some of the things that happened there were things like uh, the students had their required coursework, and then on Saturday there was this optional, they called it social work, it's not what we mean, they called it social work, but it was like basically optional, you can help clean up the campus and the road that leads up to the campus. Every single student showed up, every single one, and none of them had to. They would not get in any trouble if they didn't. They had student-led chapel, totally optional. Everybody went. Everyone went. I asked them, I asked the students, I remember, I said, so what do you do for your quiet time? They're like, oh, what's, what's quiet time? I'm like, oh, you know, like devotional stuff? They're like, what's that? I said, oh, you know, like you, you read the Bible, you pray, you meditate on the things of the Lord, maybe you listen to a sermon or listen to music or something. They said, oh, we, we do that together. We, that, that's, that's just what we do together. Their way of viewing the world is like, I, I don't do something alone, I do something with somebody because I am connected to them. This is how... In South Africa, apartheid ended without an enormous amount of blood. There's this, the same concept. Where I was in Northeast India, it was called Tlongaina. It's called Tlongaina, which is this idea that we're all connected to each other. Down in South Africa, it was called Ubuntu. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, Ubuntu. It means I am because we are. I am because we are. There is no understanding of the self apart from the connection to others. So we don't, we don't share this framework. I want to, but it's really hard to actually get this way of viewing reality. And one of the reasons why is because I, and all of us here, we mutually reinforce a diseased idea of community. In fact, I, ha I myself have said, ah, oh, I don't have community. I don't feel connected. And many of us have. But the truth is not that we don't have community and not that we're disconnected. The truth is we're a part of a community in which we have all agreed that the way we're going to be a community is you be over there, and you be over there, and you be over there. You get your privacy, you get your independence, you get your freedom. We so value independence and freedom that we say, this is how we're going to be a community. This is how we love each other. We're just going to leave you alone. We're going we're to let you, let you do you, you know. It's like us, it's like we're all driving, you know. When you're driving out there, you're like, okay, everyone's got their own little space. Give them their space. It would change if we would uh, invite someone else in the car with us. And I'm going to be the first to admit, I'm not good at this. And even as a, as a pastor, and you know, my title here is pastor of communities. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have, not, I have not pursued people as much as I could have. 
And for that, I need your forgiveness. I think we all need to seek each other's forgiveness for the ways that we have failed to pursue each other. But that's what this community that Jesus is creating, is rallying around him. That's what this community is about. Jesus, God in the flesh, who gave himself up for us, who didn't choose his own, you know, God didn't choose his own privacy in heaven and say, okay, humanity, you do you. When we do we, I guess, when we do us, you get the world we have, you know? This is the world you get when we do us. The problem is still us, and the answer is still Jesus, and it always will be, always will be. So I want to mention a couple things that, um, yeah, we're running out of time. A couple things that, that we want to do here as a community, and, and keep in mind when I'm saying, here are some things we want to do. Uh, I'm not throwing burdens on you and saying like, oh, if we just follow these techniques, then we'll be a really healthy community. Like, maybe we will, maybe we won't. It's Jesus who builds the community, okay? Paul says Jesus is the head through whom all the things are tied together. So we're doing Sunday, Sunday mornings. You can reach out to people you know and you don't know and just get to know each other. Exchange numbers, be community. But we're going to offer like a bunch of other kinds of event sort of things, basically just places where you rub shoulders with other people and can get to know them. So one is community groups. Next month, we're going to have sign-ups, but you don't even have to do the sign-ups. You could meet somebody today and say like, hey, you want to get together again? You want to get together another time? And maybe the two of you are like, hey, maybe somebody else would want to join us. Like, you can just go under the radar and not be part of like any of the official stuff we're doing. Like, you don't have to go through the leadership to be a community. In fact, there are communities uh, in this church that are continuing to exist without like going through any sort of like official pipeline that goes through the leadership. And that's wonderful. You don't have to go through the leadership. Just, just be a community. Just reach out to other people. But we want to do more things than, than just, you know, Sunday and, and community groups. I think it would be awesome, you know, weather permitting. Now isn't the greatest example for saying like, well, we could do a picnic in the park and like, you know, when COVID is gone, we could really really whoop it up, you know. But for now, it could be like everyone can bring their own lunch or whatever, but we're doing it together. Um, there's all kinds of things that we could do. We could do a movie. I mean, for goodness sakes, we got a projector right here. We got a, maybe it's not, you know, the greatest sound system, but you know, it's a sound system. We could watch a movie. You know, someone could watch, some of us could volunteer to watch kids downstairs. Like there's, we want to come up with ways for people that just have contact with one another, get to know each other, so those are, those are a few things coming up, look for. Plan on maybe showing up. I understand a lot of you have kids, and if you're anything like me, it's like you're just trying to make it to bedtime, and then when you get to bedtime, you're like, this is the only chance I have to connect with my spouse, and then it's my bedtime. So I understand it's kind of like a stretch to say, like, hey, do more than what you're already doing. You're already exhausted. But this is why I can't leave without mentioning, once again, it's not us who's building up this church. It's Jesus. What we need to do is not try harder so much as to surrender more to Jesus. 
Paul has this idea that Jesus is the head. The head is the commanding center. You know, my head is telling my foot right now to do this. It's not going the other way around. If we follow Jesus, we have a common goal. We're going to end up closer to each other. Surrender to Jesus is the way that this happens. The same Jesus, the same Jesus who surrendered himself on the cross for all of us so that we could be a part of this community, we could be a part of this grand vision of God inviting more and more people into his family. See, there he is again. That's the call. To invite more and more people into his family to experience forever the riches of his grace and kindness because the great love he has for us. This is God's vision for the church, for our community. Come to Jesus. Take your time. I'm going to end it here. But I want to give us a little bit of time. Wesley can come up. Give us a little bit of time as we're going to transition into worship to, uh, I don't know, quiet your heart before the Lord and say, I guess... Lord, forgive me for the ways that I'm, I'm choosing me and my own good and not community, for the ways I'm not submitting to you as the head of this church. We're all weak. We're all broken. We all need forgiveness. Our willpower is not the answer. His power is the answer. Strength is made perfect in weakness. So come to him now, lay your heart before him, give up to him any other idols. These are things that we choose, things that we love, that we choose over him. Give those things to him and come to the table. Uh, when we say come to the table, this is the baptismal, but come to, come to one of these trays that has, has the, the cracker in the, in the juice. These are what Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood. Take these in remembrance of me. As you take his body and his blood into your body, say, Lord, bind my heart and my will to your own so that I not only do what you ask of me, but I long for and I desire and I'm happy to do whatever it is that you desire for me. Lord, make it my delight to give myself to you and to this community. The time is yours to do that.